I have a question, and as is custom, sometimes I like to start the sermon out with a question. What comes to mind when you think about the word submission? Hmm. Submission. If someone were to come up and ask you to define or describe submission, what words would you use? How would you describe it to them? Perhaps a coworker, fellow student at school, friend, colleague, they come up and they ask you, what would you say? Interesting to think about. The concept for believers is vital to understand, for God has called believers to submission in many different forms in the pages of Scripture. At the heart of the gospel call is a call to the ultimate authority, God himself, in the form of what? Submission. We see the reality of this expressed in numerous passages throughout the New Testament, and they use this master-slave imagery. And the predominant New Testament term throughout the New Testament to, to describe a Christian is doulos, which most in the room already know in the Greek means slave. And it was clearly understood in the ancient Near East what this language represented. But in the 21st century, it kind of gets lost in our culture, so we need reminders. Not only are we called to submit to God, but we're also called to submit to one another in the fear of Christ, Ephesians 5.21. Children are called to submit to their parents, Ephesians 6, Colossians 3. Wives are called to submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3. Church members are called to submit to the pastors and elders, Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews 13. Employees are called to submit to their employers, Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, and 1 Peter 2. Citizens are called to submit to the government and the governing authorities in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. With so much emphasis on submission, I think we would all agree that us having a firm understanding of what it means is pretty essential, wouldn't you say? If we look to Merriam-Webster, we can find some proposed definitions for the term. And this is what the world suggests are reflective of the word submission or what it means to submit to something. Webster has this to say by way of definition. The state of being obedient the act of accepting the authority or control of someone else. Synonymous terms used for submission include compliance, subordinates, conformity, capitulation, concession, giving in, relenting, yielding, succumbing, or surrendering. And though some of these terms can offer us just a little bit of insight into submission, usually the overall concept is marred and associated with words like control, force, obligation, restriction, discouragement, disunity, discontentment. I'm not sure what your perception of submission might be, yet I do know that God's word helps us to see a much clearer picture. Do you have a firm grasp on submission and what impact that it should be having on your life as a believer? Are you able to instruct someone with a thorough understanding of biblical submission? Have you in any way been vulnerable to the counsel of this world and what it has to say in regards to submission? The Lord wants us to have a firm grasp and so let's go to his infallible, inerrant word together. Please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And the portion of the verse that we're going to focus our time on this week is in Titus 2.5. But our context is important. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 together. 
And this is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. We are going to zero in specifically on the phrase in Titus 2.5 that calls wives to be subject to their own husband. Over the last few weeks, we focused on verses 4 and 5, and they provide seven, those verses provide seven testimonies of young and teachable women in the church. And so far, we've gotten a chance to look at six out of seven with the seventh on tap for today. Okay? All of these testimonies listed in verses 4 and 5, as well as Really, all the testimonies that are listed in the opening 10 verses of Titus chapter 2, they reflect character qualities of believers that are learned and cultivated over time. Beyond this passage, we see that God's Word provides additional instruction to strengthen believers and their specific testimonies in the church listed in Titus 2. And this reflects the sermon proposition that continues to, to serve us well, although I, I tweaked it just a little bit as it develops because we're going to have an important sermon that's going to be coming up here in just a couple weeks. Um, not that they're not all important, but um, there's one that really, really I think is important for us to get our, our minds and our hearts around uh, as the verses coming in Titus 2.11 uh, through 14. Um, uh, approach us. But this is the sermon proposition. Your teachability manifested by gospel-driven, sanctified living magnifies Christ and the Word of God in your testimony. The gospel empowers you. Okay, As a believer, we know that. The gospel empowers us so that the Word of God can sanctify us, which gives God glory in your testimony. The seventh and final testimony for young and teachable women in this series comes in verse 5, and it's this. Younger, teachable women learn to be subject to their own husbands. As we'll see in just a bit, what this verse is really featuring for us is submission. And to see submission in its depth, we need to see it in 3D, okay? I want to see it in the three dimensions that are listed for you in your outline. First, we need an accurate definition of submission. We want to make sure that we don't have a skewed or compromised understanding of what submission means. Second, we want to understand the discipline. After we understand what it is, then we need to understand its application to our lives. How do we apply it? How do we grow or cultivate submission in our lives? And third and finally, we want to make sure that we comprehend the direction of submission. What is its end? What is its purpose? The definition, the discipline, and the direction will provide the framework for our understanding. Let's get started with the definition of submission. What it means. In Titus 2.5, Paul encourages the older women to teach the younger women to be subject to their own husbands. And here, the Apostle Paul, he uses this compound Greek word. It's made up of two words. The, the first word means under, and the second word means to appoint. So when we're talking about submission, it literally means to appoint or order under. In our English Bibles, depending on your translation, it is translated being subject, submissive, or obedient. It was a military word which described the ranks of soldiers arranging themselves under the leadership of their commander. 
And in the Greek, it's in the middle voice. And that may not, may not mean a whole lot to you, but let me just share it. That put, draws an emphasis to the, the subject who is ordering themselves. It, it's, they're doing it out of a willingness of, of their, from, from their own heart, out of their own desire. They're acting on their own interest or on their own behalf. And in this case, it's the wife subjecting herself or submitting herself to the desires of her husband as he leads her, Lord willing, in a loving and Christ-like way. And to gain a a complete understanding, I want to feature four aspects of submission that will help us to define it. And I provided four S words in your outline that we're going to zoom in uh, today on. Pick that up just in case you don't want to trip over it. Just kidding. Okay. They're in your outline. They are the following four words. Self, stance, service, and sacrifice. Let's start with self. By self, we're referencing what it means to arrange oneself under. And the word used in Titus 2.5 helps us. In order to submit We need to have the proper view of self and to consider the roles that God has ordained for our lives. It might seem fundamental, but the reality that it's very easy for us to lose sight of this. Who has God called you to arrange yourself under? Whether it's your parents, a teacher at school, a police officer, a government official, the elders in the church, There are authorities that God has established in our lives. For some, it's an eye-opening experience when they recognize and make the connection that God not only ordains these authorities, but he's called every Christian to arrange oneself under them accordingly. And in Titus 2.5, it's speaking directly to wives. The word translated husbands can also be translated men, but because it's speaking to one's own That's how we know that it's referring to husbands, not men in general. And last week when I made a cross-reference to Genesis 3.16, and we were talking about the curse, I was attempting to explain that as a result of the fall that wives will desire to usurp the authority of their husbands. But I think I made a general reference to women instead. And I don't want to make the same mistake two weeks in a row. So here in Titus 2.5, it, it, it's speaking to wives submitting to their own husbands, not to men in general. And this is why we spend so much time in premarital class talking to um, the wives-to-be about this exact thing, what, what it means according to God's role to appoint yourself under the leadership of your husband-to-be. Very important to understand. And it starts with identifying self with the role that God has ordained. The next S word to help us understand a full definition of submission is stance. And this relates to your attitude towards those whom God has called you to arrange yourself under. And 1 Peter 2 will help us see this. If you'll turn there with me in your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 13. I want you to see this firsthand, and it will bless you to see it. Starting in verse 13, there's, there's a willing attitude of cooperation and receptivity to the authorities that God places, and it needs to be spiritually healthy. And this is what it says starting in verse 13. What's your first word in, in your Bible say? What's the very first word? Submit, right? Okay. Exact same word that's used in Titus 2.5. Um, here it comes in the, the form of a command. Back in Titus 2.5, it's actually a participle. So officially, this is where we get the command. This is what it says. Submit yourselves... For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Those who were in the first Peter Bible study uh, earlier this fall have a little bit of a head start on us because you guys are, have this fresh in your thinking. You understand the path of submission that Peter spells out for Christians in this epistle. And it starts with Christ's example of submission setting the bar for us at the end of chapter 2, right? Remember this in the, in the study, those who are in it. In fact, if you want one word as a definition for submission, you can just go ahead and write Christ. He epitomizes and exemplifies in the greatest measure what it means to submit. He is the ultimate picture and the ultimate expression of submission. He truly defines it for us. Yet the Lord would have us consider these other aspects because they offer us a deeper understanding of what submission means. And I want to draw our attention to verse 17 of the passage we just read. What is the first word in your Bible in verse 17? If you have the ESV or an ASB, it's, there's, a, there's a word there. What is it? This is cornerstone. We can talk out loud. Um, what is it? Honor. Yeah, it's, it's the word honor. And it can also be translated respect. And why does Peter include this? Our stance or how we view an authority impacts our willingness to submit to that authority in our lives. It does. You will always struggle to submit to someone or something that you don't honor or don't respect. Many people don't submit to police officers because they don't respect or honor them. And there's a direct connect. And yes, I understand that there are some people who are serving in uniform that probably shouldn't be. But for the profession at large, I think that it's unfortunate that because of some of the negative things that have, ha have happened with a few, that that has impacted our complete view of the respect and the honor that we should bestow to the greater whole. My dad in the late 60s and early 70s was a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Officer. And then when my mom was pregnant with my twin brother and I, we moved to Illinois in the early 70s. And my twin brother and I were born in Illinois as I reveal my age. And I saw how tough my dad's job was. Sometimes I would even meet people growing up back in Illinois because Crick was such an uncommon last name. They'd be like, you say your name is John Crick? Yeah. Is your, your dad a cop? Yeah. He, he wrote me a ticket. And they, <laughs> and they would look at me like I was supposed to take out my wallet and pay for it or something. And I'd be like, maybe you need to slow down. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I remember... Even my own heart and, and the temptation and the struggle that I, I, I faced to even submit and, and honor my dad as a police officer. And I remember asking my dad a question, and I said, what's the big deal about somebody having a headlight out? And why is it that you would write them a ticket? That just doesn't seem right. I mean, it's just not fair. Why are you going to write them a ticket? My dad just looked at me calmly and responded, what happens if the other one goes out? Huh, okay. Wisdom replied, yeah, both headlights go out. Serious problem, right? And they needed a reminder, and that's why the law is there. It's intended to protect do you respect and honor the authority that God has placed in your life? Titus 2.5 is speaking specifically to wives. And I don't think it's ironic that in the infamous passage 
of submission as it relates to wives, Ephesians 5, 22 and through 33, the most common and well-known, that in verse 22, it starts with what? Wives being told to submit to their husbands. And then in verse 33, it finishes with a very important verse and phrase. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That she honors her husband. Why? Because respect and submission are deeply intertwined. If you are a wife that has struggled to respect your husband, or maybe you're a teenager who's struggled with honoring your parents, or maybe you're an employee struggling to honor or respect your boss, or maybe it is even the police. Here are three quick ways for you to cultivate respect for any authority in your life. Number one, be mindful of the ways that they're currently serving you. Focus on the things that they have done well and that they continue to do well. Number two, be mindful of the challenges and the responsibilities placed upon them as an authority. Leading others is not easy. A little grace can go a long way. Number three, be mindful of God who sovereignly ordained that you would arrange yourself under their leadership. Due to our sin nature, it's natural for us to rebel against authority. And when we see God's sovereign hand in the placement of our roles, it helps us to stay focused on what he is ultimately trying to teach us. We're defining submission under point number one, and we're looking at four aspects that help us to define submission. The first word is self. We need to be aware of looking inward and our need to appoint ourselves under the authorities that God has ordained for our lives. The second word is stance, and we need to honor and show respect toward the God-ordained leaders in our lives. And the third S word is service. Building on a proper view of self while growing in respect for those leading us, submission progresses into action or expressions of service. And this really reflects the heartbeat of what it means to submit. There, it's going to produce a response from within. And we want that to be a God-honoring response. Wives are called to help their husbands. And this goes all the way back to Genesis 2.18, where God declared that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve, a helper that would be suitable for Adam. I was listening to a radio preacher the other day. I can't even remember who it was. And he was preaching, I think, to, uh, to the single guys. And he said basically how it, Adam serves as an example of patience and waiting for your helpmate. He said that if Adam would have been impatient, that he could, have, he could have ended up with a primate, not a helpmate. So I just thought that was funny. Okay. <laughs> Practically, submission means wives learn to serve their husbands in the most helpful way possible. And this may look different in different marriages. Why? Because men have different gifts, different strengths, different weaknesses, different needs. One of the ways that Victoria blesses me when she sees me under a lot of pressure and sees me really trying to hustle to get something done, sometimes it's the sermon for the week on occasion, but there are other instances where there's just pressure. You know, there's, there's things that, that need to get done. And she'll come up and she'll ask me what I call the home run question. How can I be most helpful? How can I be most helpful? 
And I know that there are other wives in, in Cornerstone that bless their husbands with the same question. But I would just say, wives, if you really want to minister to your husbands, ask your husband the home run question on a regular basis. How can I be most helpful to you today? And it, it, it's, it, that caters right into the role that, that God has for you. It blesses me immensely. So grateful. Submission and service go hand in hand. And we need not look any further than Christ's example. It's spelled out for us at the end of 1 Peter 2. But the Lord submitted himself to the Father's will and he even expressed his submission in verbal form as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And what did Christ's submission lead to? Mark ten forty-five. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Submission involves service, and our Lord's life and example help us to see this aspect so clearly. There is a fourth aspect, an S word, that helps us to define submission. To define submission, we need a proper view of self. We need a proper stance of respect and honor to the authority that God's placed in our life. Thirdly, submission progresses into action or expressions of service. And fourthly and finally, submission in the Christian life, is also defined by sacrifice. It's a word that we've talked about in previous sermons. When I've mentioned the word submission, some of you may have recalled, I think it helps me to understand it this way, to break the word down into its two parts, with the prefix sub and, and the word mission. Okay, Sub meaning under. And when we talk about coming underneath something, what does it do? What is the floor doing for us right now when it is underneath us? What is it doing? It's supporting us. Submission. The purpose, mission or purpose or desire that is trying to take place. When Christians engage in submission, we are arranging or appointing ourselves under the authority of another as we honor and respect them. This allows us to engage in service, and it also helps us to be sensitive to the mission or the purpose that the authority desires. It involves sacrifice because our sin nature and selfishness it wages war against the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And naturally, we're inclined to serve ourselves and our self-interests. And this is why we can't lose sight of our sermon proposition. Your teachability. Manifested by gospel-driven, sanctified living, magnifies Christ and the Word of God in your testimony. And with gospel-converted hearts, we can magnify Christ and his word by following his example of both service and sacrifice. Just as our Lord appointed himself under the purpose of the Father, we also have been empowered to die to self and to make sacrifices for the sake of others. And Christ models this for us in Philippians 2 when he emptied himself in his humility of mind regarding others as more important than himself. A biblical view of submission is defined through sacrifice. As a wife embraces her role of submission to her husband, she sacrifices her own mission and individual desires for the sake of her husband's. There will be unity in purpose and unity in mission for the family. And more will be said about this when we get under our second point, when we talk about the discipline of submission. 
But I want to briefly just mention these things, and they're listed in your outline as well. What submission does not mean. What it doesn't mean. When a wife submits, it does not mean that she's second class. She's not inferior to her husband. And just consider the other biblical relationships and roles that we we mentioned. Are Christians inferior to unbelieving presidents and government officials? Are Christians, uh, submissive Christians, inferior when we serve as employees to our unbelieving bosses? Absolutely not. Yet our world claims that this is what submission means, that you'll be second class. Secondly, when a wife submits, it does not mean that she's sold into slavery. It doesn't mean mindless obedience to her husband. I will do what you say because this is what the Bible says to do. Right? It's, not, it's not how it works. She's not a doormat to serve every whim of her husband. And remember our definition. It starts with a proper view of self as a believer who willingly appoints himself or herself under the authority of the other. And slavery means that there is no choice. They're sold into that slavery without choice. Submission means there is a choice, and I'm willing to choose what is best for the sake of of the authority God placed in my life. And again, our world is so blind and views submission as slavery. Third, when a wife submits, it doesn't mean that she's subject to abuse. Physical and verbal abuse is serious sin. And it can be very dangerous. In light of recent media events, I think that we have seen the danger of just some of the abuse and the forms of abuse that exist in relationships. And it's frightening. Absolutely frightening. And that's why God provides other authorities to appeal to if ab- abuse is occurring. If you're a Christian woman and you're suffering and your husband, potentially even a believer, is physically or verbally abusing you, that's why you have the authority of the pastors and the elders to come to at the church to talk about it. And for those who aren't plugged into the church, church, even through a measure of God's common grace, he provides the authorities. And in some instances, even with, with believers, things can be so broken and become so emotional and so fired up that it it might even be God's will that the authorities need to be called just to make sure that wife or husband settles down. Higher authorities are there for this very reason. Fourth, when a wife submits, it doesn't mean that she's willing to surrender to sin. A wife is never to follow her husband into sinful behavior. Lying, sexual immorality, Violence, corruption, stealing, even if her husband promotes it, a wife must always choose God over her husband in submission, especially when he's asking her to act against her conscience or against the commands of Scripture. It's a good reminder for us as husbands as well to be sensitive to our wives' conscience. Number five, when A wife submits, it doesn't mean that she's silent. Submission is not silence. Some women believe their opinion doesn't matter since the the husband has the leadership role and ultimately he's going to decide what he's going to decide. So I just need to sit back and wait and see what he decides. That's not how it's submission, biblical submission is intended to, to function. Wives have a valuable perspective that their husbands need to hear and that's why you're designated as helpmates your insights your ideas your wisdom your biblical perspective on situations and decisions that need to be made are are needed 
They help us. They can encourage us. And we all have blind spots, don't we? We all have <laughs> those things like somehow we think we got this all figured out. And, and um, I've seen the wisdom just even on our eldering team, haven't you, Huey? Just of sometimes we, we don't see the complete per- perspective. And, and it's such a blessing to have an elder team because they can help us to see things that we're not seeing as we even have a chance to submit to one another in that regard. Ladies, you give your husband your opinion and, and, and recommendations. But it, it, let, me, let me shepherd you with that as well, you know, because I think even in 1 Peter 3, as Abraham responded to Sarah as Lord, there was a, a, re, a respect there. And, and that request and those opinions, those, those are laid at each other's feet, right? They're not thrown in the face. Nudge. Don't nag. Don't nag your husband to death. Even if your idea or your opinion or your perspective appears to be best or most biblical, nudge him closer towards what God would have him consider by prayer and discussion with him. And if you nag him, you're going to find him on the roof. You will. You'll find him. On the roof, he'll probably be reading Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-four, and um, and he'll, he'll run from that counsel. Nudge, not nag. Number six: When a wife submits, it doesn't mean that she is stuck. It doesn't mean that there are no leadership opportunities or decision-making responsibilities whatsoever. And even within the role of a wife, there are plenty of leadership opportunities for wives as leaders, disciplers, and spiritual mentors to others. In fact, the context of our passage even demands that. We, we need older women leading and investing in the lives of the younger women. We need women to lead in different aspects of ministry. I can only imagine what our women's ministry would look like. There's a couple dudes trying to get it all figured out. I want to think about that. Christians are privileged to see the beauty and the joy and the unity that submission promotes and provides in Christ, while this antichrist world is incapable of seeing it. It is why Christians are as we live our lives in submission, we can serve as such an incredible testimony to this world that is incapable of of understanding what submission is. It's a powerful testimony to the unbelieving world. And so now that we have four defining aspects of submission, let's pick up the pace and turn our attention to the discipline of submission. The first thing that we need to talk about under the discipline of submission is progressive growth. As Christians, there's a dichotomy that exists in our spiritual lives. All believers are complete in Christ in the sense that our righteous standing before God and our justification is complete. There's nothing that we can do to improve upon the work that has been done on our behalf, the perfect and atoning work of Christ paid the penalty in full for all of our sins. And not only did Christ pay that penalty that we owed by releasing us from the debt, but he also gives us the perfect righteousness of his life, and it's credited to our account. And we sing of it. And we glorify his name because of it. And this is the teaching of the doctrine of imputation. Not amputation. Amputation which means to remove something. Imputation means to add or to ascribe to something. And our sins and our debt of our sin was imputed or ascribed to Christ while his perfect and holy righteousness was imputed and ascribed to our accounts when we repented of our unbelief and trusted in him alone completely for salvation. And this is the clarion call of the gospel. And it's the celebration of God's work on our behalf. And it's 
commonly referred to as our justification, the divine declaration whereby a believer is declared righteous in the sight of God. Praise his name. Yet there's also another aspect of our Christian lives that's important to keep in view. There's the spiritual reality that as Christians, we're all still works in progress, right? We're all still works in progress. On this side of the cross, there's a progressive aspect of our sanctification. And what this means is that after a person trusts completely in Christ and that they're justified, that we're enabled to spiritually progress or mature. And sanctification can be defined as the progressive work of God and man, which allows a believer to become more and more like Christ. And the world interprets this as Christians trying to become good or better people. That's, their, that's how they view it. We, we're, we're, trying to be, we're trying to be good. And yet as Christians, we know that, that there is none good. There is none, none righteous. Only God is good. And through our relationship established through the gospel, our converted hearts now desire to become more like Jesus Christ and to give glory to God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit as we grow spiritually. God gets glorified in our salvation. God gets glorified in our sanctification as we learn and grow and mature in Christ. And your teachability, manifested by gospel-driven, sanctified living, magnifies Christ and the Word of God in your testimony. And I know what I just shared, many of in the room already know, but it's good to hear, isn't it? It's sweet to hear it. And there are some in the room that don't know, so I appreciate your, your patience as sometimes the, the message has to cast a, a broad net to reach everyone, to teach everyone. Now, when we talk about submission being a discipline, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of applying it more fully to our lives. And there's a growing sensitivity to the commands of Scripture, which over time help us to grow and learn how to be more submissive. And this should be true for believing wives as well as all believers in general. Because we have been enabled, because we've been empowered through the gospel, and because of the power of Christ that dwells within, we can cultivate submission in our lives as we apply God's word to our lives. And this is how older godly women can teach younger wives in the church as they lead them by example, to be sensible, to be pure, to be good workers at home, being subject to their own husbands, just as Titus 2.5 encourages us. Yet, in order to cultivate the discipline of submission, we need to confront false thinking, false teaching, and corrupt influences. And in your outline, I call it confronting falsehood. Being disciplined in any area of our lives, including submission, means battling against the lies that attempt to divert us. In fact, we can automatically assume that when we're struggling in submission, that there is a lie or some form of a lie that is having an impact on our life that is preventing us from submitting. Our study of Titus has revealed false teachers and the danger of a lying culture on the island of Crete. And we have learned that our American culture is also filled with deception. In her book, Lies Women Believe, and I have it right here, by Nancy DeMoss. I wanted to hold, hold it up. I want to encourage every, every couple, family, everyone to, to have a copy of this book. Truly, she goes through and she actually breaks down 40 lies which are common for women to believe. And this isn't my own copy. My wife had it, so I um, was, was grateful. But I would just say this. I, um, I want to know where my wife's vulnerable to lies that she might believe. I, I, I think I, I, I'm, my plan is to read this book and to understand it. And so 
men, you won't lose your man card, okay, if you, if you, if you buy one, okay, and, and, and read it and learn and grow. It'll make you more effective in discipling your wife. But she talks about three lies that are common for women to believe in the area of submission. And there are principles that overlap for all of us with these lies. And I got them listed. Are they in your bulletin, the lies listed? Okay. Lie number one is this. If I submit to my husband, I'll be miserable. And the unsaved world often makes this claim about Christianity in general. We see this even when we're out witnessing. Submit to God and live a life of oppression and drudgery. No more fun with my friends. I don't want anything to do with that. And then it becomes a battle for truth as you try to share with them that that's, not, that's, that's a lie. That's a lie. There's great joy. There's peace. There's love. The, the fruit of the Spirit that flows out of the Christian life. Who doesn't want that? And on top of that, your life will glorify God the way that He intended. Well, 1 Peter 3 provides vertical instruction to the wives who might be attempted to believe this lie. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. But we're going to turn back to Titus because there, there's a verse that I want you to see because there's a word that um, there's some similar words. So 1 Peter 3, um, and I'm going to read the opening uh, four verses really quickly. It says this, starting in verse 1 of 1 Peter 3, In the same way, you wives... Be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. That's just, we got to get that. We got to get that. And I think there's a principle too that, you know, even for a, a believing husband who's living with an unbelieving wife, I think that we can draw from that principle as well just allowing our actions to, to, to be the witness, to be the testimony. Verse 2 describes it and says, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. This passage is a submission gold mine. It's a, it's a treasure chest for many reasons. But I want our ladies to see something powerful in this passage. First, it, it, it features the, the beautiful example and the expression that Christ serves. He is submission. He is the ultimate example of submission. And the Father saw that. And the Holy Spirit saw that. And, and they, they knew what was going to happen when Christ submitted to the role that the Father had for him in sending his only begotten Son. To the cross. And there's something there. We cannot miss it. It is there. And it's beautiful. And it's glorious. It's absolutely glorious. That's submission. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Peter to pen in 1 Peter three when he says in in the same way you you are identifying yourself wife with that submission second there's a certain beauty that accompanies submission verse four describes the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. 
I said to, to, to hang in to Titus, it, um, flip back there if you would to, uh, to Titus, because I want, want you to see this in, in verse, verse 10. Because only the Holy Spirit and God's Word can orchestrate things this way. In, in verse 10, and I want to um, draw your attention so that you can see how, how much beauty is connected with submission. And here in verse 10, um, Paul is writing to Titus about slaves being submissive to their masters in verse 10. And you'll, you'll understand why I'm going here in just a few minutes. Verse 10 says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of our God, our Savior, in every respect. That word right there, adorn. It's the Greek word cosmeo. It's where we get our English word cosmetics. Okay? It's cosmetics, ladies, you get that, right? Some more than others. <laughs> Okay, um, but some some use it and so a lot more. And uh, but anyway, never mind the jokes of a pastor. Um, the 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 beauty is, is this that that he was even talking about the 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 reality of submission and the beauty that accompanies submission. And and we look back into first. Peter 3, and it says it's not about the external aspect. It's about what's taking place here at the heart level. And, and not missing that. Because it's possible as a wife to obey your husband from the external reality. I'll do it for him. I don't want to hear him talk about it anymore. I'll just do it. Right? And that's that's not healthy. That's not, that, that's not God's best for you. That's not what God wants for you. He wants it to be from the heart. He, he wants it to be as a result of adorning yourself. Making up yourself, your image, in the ultimate expression and the beauty of what his son has performed on our behalf. That's what he wants you to see. And that's real. That's as real as it gets. And that's why it's precious. It's precious in his sight. It is so precious in God's sight because this kind of soul is entrusting herself to God for every need to answer every question to calm every fear and doubt all of it yielded to God depending on him God delights in being trusted in by his children and ladies to develop this character in you is to become more like Jesus Christ. There is nothing remotely demeaning about becoming like Jesus. Everyone, both men and women, are called to, as believers, are called to Christ-likeness. And it's beautiful, and it's precious, and it's delightful in God's eyes. And this kind of of Christ-like character, like his son, this is what lasts. It, it, it's the soul. That's why it says it's the imperishable quality. It's unfading beauty. It lasts for eternity, and there's nothing miserable about that. There's nothing miserable about that, amen? Proverbs 31.30, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. Here's what one writer said. This is Lisa Hughes. She said, A woman's submission is intended by God to be a means of, ble of blessing to her, to her home, to the church, and to the watching world. 
Love that quote. So, so strong. And our time is up, and I have two more lies here to cover, and I'm going to mention them very quickly. Okay, lie number two, if my husband is passive, I've got to take initiative or nothing will get done. And in her book, this is what Nancy DeMoss has to say about this lie. And remember, this is a, a book on 40 lies that, that are common. She says, when asked, when we asked women which of the lies in this book they had believed, this lie ranked number three. She says, I know a few subjects that are a greater source of frustration to women than passive men. And here we have our evidence of the Pams again, right? The passivity of all men. The passive aspect and nature of all men. Sound the alarm. And men, I'm not addressing it now because we're, we're, we're going to have a chance to start our series next week on uh, being young and teachable as we cover at length um, how the older men can pour in and invest and how younger men can be younger and teachable in a similar fashion. Lie number three, my husband is supposed to serve me. And she goes on in her book, she talks about the lies of fem feminism and the entitlement that stem out of this lie. And it will bless you to have a copy of this book. Believe me, you, you'll, you'll want to pick it up. Well, I wish I had more time, but I don't. We have spent the bulk of our time on the definition of submission. We also just briefly looked at the discipline of submission. And we'll close quickly by featuring, very quickly, the direction of submission. In this world where submission to authority is considered to be degrading, submission is thought to be demeaning, and it's frequently denigrated, God's word allows us to see that there's a direction and a purpose for it. And the closing purpose statement of Titus 2.5 is right there for you to see, and it says this, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And all of us said amen to that. Authority and submission in the home was a tough sell. Even back in Paul's day as he was writing these words to Titus. And the same remains true in our culture today. Yet an in-depth look and an in-depth understanding of submission reveals the beauty and the riches that God's word associates with it. Why should Christian wives take it so seriously? We get our answer from the Lord right here. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. And this brings us full circle. This brings us right back to our sermon proposition. Your teachability manifested by gospel-driven, sanctified living magnifies Christ and the word of God in your testimony pray with me Father we want to just exalt you and praise you for the ultimate expression of submission that comes in the form of of your son and it is fitting and it is right even as we prepare our hearts to celebrate communion second hour to reflect on all the aspects and the details of his submission and the infinite cost that came with his willingness to honor you to esteem you to respect you as your son. And we praise him. We rejoice in him. We love him, Father. We love you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll continue to allow us to
cultivate obedient hearts and that you would free our minds from the grip of things that try to hijack us the lies and the deception of our own hearts even on top of all the things that this world tries to throw at us as well we ask father that you in in your goodness and in your kindness and mercy and grace would allow truth to prevail time and time again help us to love your scriptures Help us to seek out the truth. Help us to know and understand the reality of how our faithfulness to obey brings glory to your name. And how you would even provide reward for us in doing that. Our hearts and our lips have no choice but to sing songs of praise. And we pray that as a church family, that as we continue to consider the testimony of what our church is and how we will be used as testimonies in the world around us, that you would help us to walk in faithfulness. Help us to stay focused. Help us to major on the majors and to minor on the minors. We want to live our lives for you. We know soon and very soon we'll be in your presence. And so we just want our lives to count while we're still here. We pray that you'll help us to make them count. That you would receive much glory as a result. And we ask this in the precious name of your son. Amen.